0: One of the things with budgeting is having a balance. So you mentioned today you, you have to live today and then there's your future self. So when we look at a budget, whatever you're making, we always say at least plan 20% of that for your future self. You could do whatever you want with 80% of what you make today. Some of it goes to taxes, some of it, whatever it goes to bills, fun, hobbies. But make 20% of that goes towards your future self. That's going to investing and making sure that you're able to still maintain or have a better lifestyle in the
1: future.
2: Hi, I'm Peavy.
1: Hi, I'm Jamie, and welcome to Blank is a Mother Podcast.
2: We are two toddler boy moms that have been best friends since college, and we are here to share our unique motherhood journeys through a comparative lens.
1: And we all say we're not supposed to compare, right? But clearly we know that's not realistic.
2: Because the first few years of motherhood shook our lives and friendship like no other experience has.
1: And by comparing and contrasting our journeys, we've discovered the strongest threads of sisterhood yet.
2: We don't have all the answers and we sure have made some missteps.
1: So we invite you to follow along as we do our best to nurture our friendship while making a thousand tiny mama decisions in an unfair world. Hi, I'm PV. Hi, I'm Jamie, and welcome to Blank is a Mother podcast.
2: Today we have another very, very special guest, Karen Holloway, and she is actually Jamie and John's financial planner in Florida, and we brought her on to talk about all things finances as a mother, because... (laughs) (laughs) Jamie and I have been friends for so long. And obviously, we talk about how we're safeguarding our family financially and how we're planning for the future of our kids and, you know, education funds and all that. And we were both doing different things. And we were like, why are you doing that? I'm not so sure. Why are you doing that? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we, had, we knew, but we didn't know like the pros and cons and, you know, contrasting all the different options. And so we're like, right. We clearly are not alone in this. Let's bring on a professional who can break it down for us. And that's exactly what she did. And she did it stylishly and beautifully because she's a really awesome person. Thanks for bringing her to
1: us, Jay. Absolutely. One thing that Karen mentions, which you'll hear in the episode is that you don't know what you don't know. And so even as savvy as we all may think we are, like for me, I'm a math person, as most of you know. I love math. I love investing stuff. And even with that, I met with Karen the first time. She helped me lay out a my goals and my plans. And it was like, whoa, I didn't even realize all of these other tools were available. And so even with someone that's dibbled and dabbled, like I have, you still don't know. So at each level of our growth, growth in terms of our knowledge around investment strategies, we thought, let's bring in someone that could break it down in laywoman terms and Mm -hmm. help us understand what's available to us and the pros and cons of each tool. So buckle up. She is amazing. She is Knowledgeable. Yes, there is a lot of information in this episode. So we're just going to say listen to it once or twice or three times. But we have information in the show notes. And um, we hope you enjoy listening to the conversation as much as we enjoyed having it with our girl Karen.
2: Welcome, Karen.
1: We are so hype and excited to have a guest speaker today in the house. Miss Karen Holloway is here with us. Woo, woo, woo. (laughs) Karen, thank you so much for joining us and for blessing our community with your knowledge and your presence, all of the things. But today, you know what, Karen, we wanted to invite you into this conversation for this episode, which is finances is a mother because oftentimes we think we have a handle on our finances, but I think, and I can speak for myself, I learned very old schoolish from my parents. You have your checking account, you have your savings account, and if you go into corporate, you get a 401k. And so that was pretty much my baseline for finances as a young adult. Since I've gotten older and I recognize their new tools, you know, like IRAs and mutual funds and all of those other things that you're going to talk about, now my knowledge has expanded and through my work with you... And my family's work through you, full disclosure, Karen and I were introduced lovingly by my amazing husband who has known Karen and they've known each other forever, but Karen has now become a staple in our family with helping us make strategic financial decisions. So we thought it would be great to bring her here and let her educate us further on all of the tools that are accessible to us and what makes sense to use, even with children, the 529s, like, do they make sense? Do they not? What are the different variations of them? So we're just excited to have you school us, if you will, on our financial gains and all of the things. So before we get to that, Karen, can you just introduce yourself to our audience and to our community and just tell us a little bit about who you are?
0: Jamie, thank you so much for that warm and kind introduction. PV, thank you both for having me here. I'm so excited to speak about a conversation that's dear to my heart and has been pivotal even in my own life. And I'm happy. The rewarding part is just to see the blessing and the friendships and just seeing everyone grow. So thank you for giving me the privilege of serving you and your family with financial planning. I love having this conversation and I believe it'll be a blessing to everyone that's listening to it. So let's go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
1: (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Please. I'll start with the question, Karen. So with all your experience working with families, with kids, what are the critical financial health elements every family should be sure to have in place? That may be a loaded question. So however you want to dissect that, that's just what we'll kick off with.
0: That's right, Jamie. It is loaded because every family share the same, like everyone loves, I hope everyone loves their family and care for their family. But that looks different sometimes. So that's why it's important because what may be important for your family or for PV, it may look totally different. So love and care looks totally different and experiences come into that as well. So for example, I can generally say when starting off, most families want to make sure that God forbid, if the worst were to happen, that the family would still be okay. And then on the other side, they want the best for their family too. And the best may look different for different people. So generally speaking, what I see over 20 years of experience, one thing that always comes to mind with family is, hey, I want to be able to make sure that my kids have access to the best education. Or even if I don't participate in full, I want to be able to contribute in some part, some shape. What can that look like? And so that's just a piece of the plan. So it's very clear. What I've seen is that there's not any new original goals. There's not a goal that you haven't heard before. So the goals are pretty much when you find a family that loves and care, everyone wants the best for them. It all comes down to timing and what that would look like. And so for me, it's important to spend the first time that I'm talking to anyone, just getting to know them and getting to have a better understanding of what that looks like, so that we could start looking at the numbers. But the numbers and the products normally come at the end. Of what you should be doing more importantly is for people to get really clear on what they want.
1: So, clarity at the beginning, what your goals are, and then you come in and introduce tools that will help them fulfill those goals.
0: Absolutely.
1: And generally,
0: education is normally a starter for those conversations. So, before most parents or families think about financial planning. What I found common is that they'll start the conversation by saying, you know what? I want my kid not to have a load of student loan debt in the future. That's something that maybe some of my clients had experience with. Some of my clients did not have experience of a family providing. And so with them having that foresight they're like, Hey, maybe I should start talking to someone. There's so many options, like you mentioned earlier of what I can and cannot be doing. And so let's start that conversation. And so very often the conversation starts there, but then we have to backtrack to make sure. And I always remind families of this, that make sure the family is taken care of. What would it look like if something were to happen to you? And then we'll backtrack to come back to the education piece.
2: Yeah, maybe we can start with that, like worst case scenario, safeguarding your family. And the thing that comes to my mind is life insurance, which my family has, and I know Jamie's family has. We have known families who have not had that, and it has been horrific for them. So I think that's a good thing to cover. You know, what would be the bare minimum? Like, should you be doing this through your employer or through a third party bundled with your financial plan like with your advisor or is there like no right or wrong way to do that as long as you have some sort of bare minimum coverage? And second question, sorry to complicate this, but when I had my son, we were sold a life insurance policy for him, which we ended up not continuing because we made some other decisions to plan for his future. But I had never even heard of a life insurance policy for essentially an infant at the time. So I was like, huh, like, what are the pros and cons of of that too?
0: So there's two sides. Again, what does financial planning mean to anyone? I make sure that we're clear on what that looks like. So financial planning is always protecting against what could go wrong. So what are some things that could go wrong when you're planning for these great goals that you have in mind. Things that sickness, injury, death could happen. So looking at that for a family is that if we were to lose the financial impact or component of the family, what would that look like for the entire family? So that's why we normally start there as the foundation of financial planning, because no one really knows when we're gonna have get diagnosed with a big illness, you know, no one knows when we're going to get injured, get in a car accident or die. There's no timing on that. No one goes and plan for these horrific things. But like you mentioned, PV, they do happen. So we start there when it comes to life insurance, the, the main purpose of life insurance is to replace income. And so part of that income protection part is, if I become sick, or injured, we're not just talking about life insurance. But I like to think of things in frames or buckets. So one of the buckets that I think of, and I plan over like a four bucket. So visually, just imagine four buckets. Bucket number one is not the fun buckets. It's not not exciting. No one calls me for that bucket. I tell them to go back to that bucket. They always want to talk about the other buckets because they're invested. They're exciting. They're fun, right? Who doesn't want to invest and become a millionaire tomorrow? But we go back to bucket one because bucket number one is my emergency fund. It's my, hey, what if this goes wrong? I want to make sure it's that rainy fund. It's that having things in place, God forbid, things does not go how we want them to go. So in bucket number one is where we say, hey, let's protect our income. So one of the tools that we could use to protect our income is life insurance. The other tool that we could use to protect our income is disability income. If I get sick and injured. So we're having that conversation in bucket number one. Now, when you mentioned about your son and the advice that you were given, when you look at life insurance, and I want to back up a little bit just to create a bigger picture because reasons why people normally fail financially is they have no goals. They have no idea. If I were to ask, where do you see yourself in a year, five years, 10 years from now, people typically don't have clarity around that. And so the starting place is what are your goals? So if I know what your goals are, and if you know where your goals are, it's easier to match the right product with the right goal. When I don't know what your goals are, I'm just throwing things at you and that, oh, that sounds exciting. Let me get that, that may sick. And sometimes that's what we do on social media. We just throw things out and people throw back a bunch of things at us. So if I know your goal, I could put the right financial plan together for you. So that family that's coming, the very first time we're talking is really getting an understanding of what's important to you. Tell me about your family. Tell me about where you see your family. How do you want to have an impact? PV, you're you're one of the ones that says, hey, I want to be able to, participate in my son's financial future. There's others that I could care less. I figured it out on my own. They could figure it out on their own as well. So I need to be clear on that before we start making recommendations. But in that piece, when we're having a life insurance conversation, a neat math for me is DIE, the letters D-I-E. So if I were to DIE, Do I have enough to cover debt, credit cards, mortgage, loans, all that stuff? And the I part of that is, do I have enough to replace my income? If I'm no longer in the picture of mom and dad, what paycheck, how much was that income that we lost? And the E part of that is the education part. Do I want to participate if I were to pass away? Do I still want to pay for my children's education? So once we figure that out, that tells us how much life insurance, and then the other part of that, now let's find the right type of life insurance, because there's different types of life insurance that can solve that need.
1: I love that acronym, by the way, Karen, the DIE, because I will remember that. said, you know, there's whole life, and then there's term, and there's some life insurance policies that you can use, maybe that's the I part, but you can tap into as a savings account, or you can use as collateral when you're trying to make a larger investment. So even if it's high level, Karen, can you dig a little bit into the difference between whole and term? Because I know that I use those incorrectly. (laughs) I always forget which one's which. (laughs) And then how you can use your life insurance policy also to potentially use as a savings option.
0: When you think of now I know how much life insurance I want. Right. So if we go back to the formula, maybe 500,000 pays off the mortgage. And then the income part of that is, and then normally going back to the mortgage piece of it, say your mortgage is 15 years or 30 years. So that's determining how long you need that policy for. So even if you're a family that says, I don't care about replacing my income. I don't care about the education part. I just really want to purchase life insurance to pay my mortgage off. Then if we're looking at a 30 year, that's how long we want the policy to last. Now, some term policies could go 30 years, but there's other terms that they could go as well. They could go 10 years, they could go 20 years. They are sometimes age-based where they could go to age 80. So again, having that discussion about clearly what do you want, we can match you with the right type of life insurance. So we love term because term gives you the largest benefit for the lowest premium. That's why we love it. So when you think of whole life, it's pretty much what the word is saying is that it's a more permanent solution. It will be there for your whole life. And that's with the thinking that someone will live till age 90 or someone will live till age 95. Whereas with term, depending on your age, say you're a young family starting out and you're 30. If you purchase like a 20-year term or 30-year, that policy ends in 20, 30 years. So that 30-year-old will now lose that benefit after age 60. After their 60th birthday, the benefit goes away. Nothing's wrong with that. That may have been your goal. Maybe your goal was, hey, I'm going to get this term because I've not yet amassed the capital that I need. I'm just starting out paycheck to paycheck. It's going to bridge my gap until I'm now in my 60s. I've also done a great job of investing. So now I have my investments now can become that insurance that I wanted to live, leave for my family. And I no longer have that mortgage because it's been 30 years. So that's all goes well. Then term did service purpose. And then so it's an understanding of we have to spend time to tap into your future self to see where you're going to be in the future to decide if we need the term or the permanent life insurance. I think sometimes the biggest misconception too is that it's dollar for dollar. So people think if I purchase 500,000 of term and I'm making up numbers here because life insurance is based on your health, gender and whether you're a smoker or not. But say you're 30 year old, best of health, 500,000 policy, say so it's like 20 bucks a month. If you were to purchase that same whole life policy, it could easily be two, $300 a month. So same death benefit, but there's a larger outflow on the permanent side. One is because it's covering you for a longer period of time. And two, by nature of design, how a permanent policy or whole life works. You're benefiting from the dividends, which sometimes could be a return of what you've paid into the policy. That's what's building up the cash value, the accumulation over time that Jamie, to your point, can be used later as part of the income strategy for retirement. So in other words, and I'll say this a different way. And if I need to back up to be clear, just let me know. But say, for example, when we're thinking, of our bigger financial picture. The reason why most people do financial planning is because they don't want to work forever for money. At some point, you want money to start working for you. Just for the sake of easy numbers, if someone is making $40,000 today, 40,000, how much assets, how much capital, what would you need to have in investments or sitting somewhere to be able to earn 40000 in interest? Because when we say money's working for us, we're saying we're receiving interest. So how much will it take for me to have in order to make 40000 of interest so that I don't need to work anymore? So within the industry, there's like a rule of 4%. The answer to that is 1 million. If you had a million dollars, 4% interest on a million will be 40,000. So that your million dollars just created $40,000 so that you could say, hey, I don't need to work anymore. My million dollars is making 40,000 for me. The thing as we're backing up, Jamie and PV, is that now that we know the million dollars is our number for the person who needs $40,000 paycheck between now and until I get to the million, because I'm not there yet. So I'm going to keep working until I get to the million. Where do I save? Where do I invest? So when you look at that big picture, part of it could be aggressively growing using stocks, mutual funds, all of that that you talked about. A part of that, a sliver of that pie, sometimes we recommend permanent life insurance. Because again, it's there for the death benefit. It's still a life insurance policy by nature. That's what it is. The first role of it is to provide a death benefit. But the other role of it as well is the cash accumulation side of it. Where that comes into play is that now you're retired. You have a million dollars in investments. Do investments always go up or do they go up, go up and down?
1: Up and down, up and down.
0: If you're 60 years old and you have a time horizon to, say, 90, that is 30 years that you'll be retired and living off of this million dollars to generate the 40000 for you every year. So if there's some years that it's going to be down, another question that we have in the market is, do we like to sell when the market is up or when the market is down?
2: Sell when the market's... Up, I think.
0: Up, right?
2: (laughs) Thank you. I have no money in the market, but I think that's what it is.
0: (laughs) Sell high, right? Buy low. Correct. So when you think of a marketplace, there's always two individuals. There's a buyer and a seller, and they're never happy at the same time. PV, what do you like to shop for? Clothes. When you buy clothes, do you want to buy at a, a high price or a lower price?
2: I'm at the thrift shop, Karen. I'm at the thrift store. (laughs) Real talk.
0: (laughs) Right? And so if we're buying, PV will be great because she's that buyer that's going to get a deal. She doesn't want to pay high. But now if PV wanted to sell, do you think from a profit standpoint, she would want to sell when she could get a high price? Correct? So the seller who's selling to her wants to be able to still make a profit. So when we recommend... Permanent life insurance, not only is it for the death benefit, but to be strategic, knowing that over a 30 year period of retirement, you will need access to a sum of money that never goes down to allow your investments to still be aggressive and grow without interrupting the compounding interest over time. Just to recap, term is great for temporary, for solving temporary problems. So it's that debt that I want to pay off. So people who are coming to me for term or hey, I just got this mortgage, it's $500,000, it's a million dollars. I don't want to leave my family to say if I'm not here, they have to lose that home. It's also saying that, hey, during a certain period of time, I want to be able to pay for my kid's school. So over the next 18 years, that's a temporary solution. Term is perfect for that. To make sure that, hey, until my kids get 21, until they get 18th, let's have this in place to make sure school is covered. And it's also meaning that while they're young, I know that if mom and dad is not in the picture, that paycheck went with it as well. Let's cover my paycheck. So if I'm gone, my paycheck so term is beautiful for that. Permanent life insurance is more so you're still having the policy. It still pays a tax-free death benefit, whether it's term or permanent. The beauty of life insurance is that it's liquid upon death and you paid no taxes on it regardless. Mm-hmm. The permanent, what people love about it is that the part of it that goes to savings, they can access the 459 and a half, unlike your 401k without a penalty. And they can access it as well when the market is down. So instead of depleting your assets when the market is down, Just two years ago, we saw the market go down 20%. You're able to go to this and say, I don't need to touch my investments. Or in 2008, when the market was down 34%, let's put some numbers on that. A million dollars, the market is down 34%. Now you have less than 700,000 in your account. You saw it go from a million to 700,000. I know, PB. (laughs) So that's not the time to go and touch that. We need time to recover. And it took literally five years for the market to recover for you to see your 700 go back to a million. What are we doing in the meantime? Are we going back to work? Or do we have another bucket of money that we could go to to pull money from the supplement until the market goes back up? That's where permanent life insurance could have a role. So that's where the other three buckets come in? So bucket number one, it's your God forbid, something happens to me, I have my emergency fund, I have a plan in place if I get sick or injured, money's still coming in, and I have a plan in place that if I die, everyone is still taken care of. Buckets two, three, four is more exciting. It's more, hey, I'm ready to start investing. Two of those buckets are investments. The investment bucket is that I cannot touch this until 59 and a half. If I do so, I'm going to get hit with penalty and taxes those are 401ks or IRAs, all those goes into that bucket. The other bucket is still investment, but you can touch it before 59 and a half. It's your brokerage account. You're still investing, but you can touch it without penalties. And then the last bucket is that permanent life insurance piece of it.
2: I thought you were going to say marrying rich. No,
0: that's that goes. to. Listen, we can add that bucket to TV. Okay, okay, that's bucket (laughs) five. Very rich. Bucket four was, hey, I don't want all my money on this roller coaster. So two of those buckets were the investment buckets. I don't want all my money. Yes, it's going to give me the best growth over time, but I want some of my money not on that roller coaster going up and down. I want to be able to have some peace, some safety that's there. That's where we normally place that permanent life insurance policy. Gotcha. And like a old school savings account. Perfect. Bucket number one is that old school savings account. The reason why we don't want too much in that old school savings account, it's not the most efficient. So it's super liquid, but you're not getting the best interest rate on it. And the way that it's taxed as well, you're taxed at ordinary income taxes. The other savings bucket is not taxed, and also it's more tax efficient, you're able to use it at a better rate of return than you would in bucket number one.
1: And in bucket number one, that savings account or your emergency fund is not working for you. Like you Correct. said, you want your money to work for you. Correct. Well, girl, I'm gonna need a pop quiz.
2: But this is great. <laughs> no, I will fail.
1: No, but this is why I love you, Karen, because you've always been able to break things down into digestible chunks for the lay people. So thank you, because I do want to ask one more question that kind of ties into this. When we talk about investing for college for our children, and we know there are different tools there. Like in Florida, we have the Florida prepaid, and I know there are different variations of that depending on what state you're in, but for me specifically we have LJ enrolled in the Florida prepaid, which means that we're paying now. For everybody that may not know that, and Karen can tell it better than I can, but we're paying now monthly. We've locked in the rate for LJ's college, should he attend college in Florida. We locked in the rate of his tuition today, and then we're paying on that now. And then once we've paid it off, that part is kind of gone. It's there for him to use, should he go to school in Florida, regardless of how much tuition is. Uh, 16 years down the road or 15 years down the road. So can you help us understand maybe when something like a prepaid college program makes sense? Maybe the pros and cons, because I know they're both sides to that coin Yeah, and compare it with a 529. Maybe just help us understand the investment strategies for children education savings funds.
0: Brilliant point. So both the prepaid and the 529, the goal of both of them is to cover education. The difference comes in And like you said, Jamie, who would not like to lock in the cost of college today? So for example, if Florida universities say 20,000 a year, 15 years out, there is inflation because cost of education goes up each year, maybe by 5% each year. 15 years from now, that 20,000 could easily be 50,000, 60,000. So it gives family peace of mind that regardless of what future costs are, they have peace of mind that they're still paying that same rate today. And you're going to be the happy one to know that people who did not lock it in, ooh, you're paying $70,000. I only paid $20,000. So you get bragging rights right there. That's the pro of the prepaid college plan, right? The... Other side to that is the investment side of it, is that the reason why people normally want to do that is that over 15 years, they probably could have taken the same dollar amount that they paid for the prepaid and invested it and still ended up with more to still cover the future costs with money left over. And the peace of mind they get, and it's different. I mean, for every two people that you ask, some people love the prepaid because that's what they've experienced with. And it works for them beautifully and it worked fine. And it works, it all goes well as long as you go to a Florida school. Mm-hmm. The true with the prepaid as well is that you could go to another state. So for example, if LJ is like, great mom, thanks for doing that for me, but the school that I want to go is in New York. What Florida prepaid will do. And some parents will be like, yep, that's, you're on your own. I paid for this. You could go here and you could put your parenting, whether you force them to go or you give them the flexibility to go there. Now, the beauty of the Florida prepaid is that whatever it would have paid here in Florida, they will transfer that to any other school out of state. Hmm. The problem with that, with that is, not every school prices are the same. So the price that you locked in here is based on 15 years ago costs. When you go to another state, you're paying their today's costs. Uh So you would be short because another state cannot guarantee Florida's promise because they did not promise you that Florida promised you that. Mm -hmm. so sometimes parents want the flexibility of saying that what if the school is not Florida what if they want to go somewhere else I want them to have the flexibility what if they have scholarships what if they decide not to go to school then what happens and sometimes the con of that is over that same time period Florida will refund that but not with interest so over those 15 years you've lost the ability of growth Appreciation on that dollars, so that's what you're giving up. So again, it's not bad. It's just what do you want? Understanding the how both sides work. The other side with the prepaid, as you mentioned, Jamie, it's a pre-calculated formula based on your child's age. So going in, they're saying what's LJ's date of birth, and they're giving you different options to do that, and then they're kicking back based on that we're going to charge you X amount of dollars every month because they're backing into the cost of the plan. With the 529, this could be good or bad. They are not backing in anything. They're just saying, Hey, how much would you like to invest? Now you could do the work to say, Hey, future costs will be a hundred thousand. So I need to put away X amount for the next 15 years to get to the hundred thousand. Or you could be like, hey, I want the flexibility. Sometimes I want to put money in. Sometimes I don't want to put money in. I don't want to be locked into a fixed plan that I have to pay into all the time. The Mm -hmm. 529 gives you flexibility. I could start it. I could stop it. I could just not do it if I don't want to. Other people could participate in it. So it gives you that flexibility.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And the 529s grow? Yes. Unlike the prepay. Okay. Correct. So the 529s, they are invested in the stock market. So there are over a hundred thousand different investment options. So again, each investment would be tailored to does your child. Do they have 15 years before college or do they have four years before college? Mm -hmm. That time period will have a different weighing on how that investment will perform.
2: Like the prepaid definitely locks you into a specific state, like whatever prepay program you're investing in. And then the 529s, and this is a question because I'm not sure. I think some states are more flexible than others, right? Where you can use that state's 529 plan, but they could use it in lots of states. Or there's some states that you can only use it in that state, kind of like a prepay plan. Do I have that right? The 529 investment plan could be used in
0: any state.
2: Okay. So why do you have to select a state? Because I've heard like Utah is a good one. Mm -hmm.
0: Because each state has a different fund manager, different investment person that oversees it. So each state hires a different investment company to manage that. So the states now compete to say, all right, Virginia may have a better investment portfolio manager, even though they're all investing in the same stock market, they're buying and selling at different times, which means a different performance. Fees and expenses are different. So you can have a state that charges really high fees, but their performance isn't great. Or you may have some incentives from your state to say, if you participate, we will give you a tax credit or something to that effect, depending on the state that you're in. So PV, that's correct. Even though it doesn't matter which state that you select, you can use it for any state. The difference is what investment company did my state select to run the investment? Because ultimately... Your investments is only as good as the person that's managing those funds and making those investments for you.
2: Gotcha. If a family wants to use a 529, are there like different states that you steer them to because you think they kind of do a better job?
0: Absolutely. So when it comes to investment, there's really three objectives. Do I want to grow my money? Do I want income or do I just want liquidity? And so all of those are part of that process that we would go through. If someone is, has 15 years before college, the idea is we want to grow the money because in the meantime, what's going on underneath the iceberg is that costs are going up every year. So to prepare for that, I need to make sure my growth surpasses whatever cost is growing along the way. So over 15 years, I want to grow. My goal shifts when it's time for me to go to college. It's no longer growth that I want. I need income to start paying for my college expenses. And so that will look different from someone who has two years before they need access to the fund versus someone who has 15 years before they need access to the fund.
1: Support for Blank as a Mother is by Northwestern Mutual. Northwestern Mutual believes in doing the right thing and to them, the right thing is making sure their clients won't have to worry about their finances and that clients won't have to wonder if the lives they see for themselves and their families is possible because they know it is. And that's really because the financial strategies Northwestern Mutual recommends are based on each client's life and priorities. And every financial plan is specifically designed to help them reach their unique goals Northwestern Mutual's financial strength powers yours. You can focus on the plans you have for your life when your financial plan is backed by the strength of Northwestern Mutual. So for more information about Northwestern Mutual, please visit them at karenholloway.nm.com. Again, that's Karen, K-A-R-E-N-H-O-L-L-O-W-A-Y.nm.com.
2: Let me tell you what we did for our son. And I want to see if you have any tips. Sure. So we didn't want to like make decisions in advance. You know, we wanted Everett to be able to kind of choose. And like, who knows if he's going to even going to go to college, you know, we weren't even sure. So instead of doing like an education specific fund, because our advisor sort of said, well, you could head your best with a 529 and only invest sort of 50%. And then at least you've gotten half the way there by the time it's, you know, these expenses come on. And then if he doesn't use it, you still, you know, can get some money back. But we decided to just invest in a brokerage account. And you kind of mentioned this earlier, that's a little more flexible. So it's still growing. And if he doesn't want to use it for education, if he has other needs by the time he's 18 or 21 or whatever, or he wants to go internationally, we can still make use of that. So that's what we decided to do. But I always, I'm like second guessing myself all the time.
0: No, that works for what you wanted it. It's not tied again with the 529. You said this, it's tied to that education piece, right? If he doesn't use it, so if you enroll in the 529 and Everett doesn't use it for education, what happens? Now, all that money that is in there, that's growth. So for example, the money that you're putting into the account is after tax money. You've already paid taxes on it. Right, so say you put right. ten thousand in to the five twenty nine, and I'm making up numbers. Say it grows to twenty thousand. Everett decides, nope, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Or not school is not my thing. So now the gain in the account was ten thousand. You won't pay taxes on the the ten that's in there, but whatever you don't use for education is subjected to a ten percent penalty for not using it. Mm. Versus If you did the brokerage account, you're giving him way more flexibility that he can use it if he wanted to. But if he doesn't use it, you would have felt like I didn't miss the opportunity for the growth that has occurred into the account over time. So, similar to you, PV, what families do, no one really knows what the future holds. No one knows what will happen with student loans or access to college or all these things. So as much as they can, they try not to put all their money in one type of account. And pretty much the benefit of tying it to the 529 is the tax benefits. But the other benefit of not is that he has the luxury of doing whatever else that he wants to. So that's Mm -hmm. what you're you doing is like giving him options just in case he goes, you're hedging your bets to make sure if he decides we're still good, And the downside on not using the 529, you're still happy because you got your money back with growth. And there's new rules coming in that will allow you to either use those funds or be able to take the funds from the 529 and use it for retirement purposes. So that's coming along the way as well, because the IRS is recognized and there's so much unspent money left into these 529 investments. So what's another way without penalizing the the parents for having that foresight to set that up?
2: Wait, the government's going to help us? No way.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure something is in it for them. They need it yeah. to move, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 They're just shifting it around. They're yeah. shifting it around. They're
0: like, it's just sitting there. Let's have them move it. So they're, you know, they have to start using it for retirement or something else like that. So yes, you can have multiple different buckets for the same one goal because no one, bucket works the same. There's like pros and cons to everything. So nothing's wrong with the way that you decided to go about that.
1: This is awesome. Because I, I have one more question in the same realm. You mentioned liquidity as one of your goals. For the 529, how does that work? Okay, I'll give two scenarios. When LJ turns 18. Yeah. He's either going to a Florida school, and we use that Florida prepaid, and he's rocking out. Whether that's for undergrad, for graduate school, whatever he does, LJ's in a Florida school. Bam, we're good. If LJ decides he's going to go on Broadway, and I'm going to live vicariously through him because that has been my dream for life, as you all know. So let's just say he goes on Broadway, and he's like, "I don't need that money, Mom. That was cute. I appreciate you, but I'm good." Then we can pull that money out, but it's just it's dollar for dollars at the face value. We put in. 30000 we get the 30000 out. Correct. Now, if it's in a 529 and he's 18 and we say we want to pull it out, do you pull it out in monthly installments? You're like, okay, we're going to need $1,000 a month to supplement his college fund. We're back when I'm going to college now, Broadway. <laughs> back in college. Do we pull monthly or does the 529 pay out one lump sum? It's all up to you. It's your lever.
0: You pull as needed. It's whenever you're ready, you could start making withdrawals. You could pull it all at once or you could pull it as needed. Okay. You have control over that. This is awesome. Thank you. I have a related
2: question. Sure. And this might be more of like a style question, which you are very uh-uh. stylish. So I want to know <laughs> what your style is for this because. I wish that on a lot of occasions when my son receives gifts, we're very, very grateful for the gifts. But what we would wanna be doing right now if we had money was investing in our future or like the bucket one, like just yeah, security. And we aren't able to do that right now. Hopefully we will soon, but right now we can't. So it's just an awkward, kind of tricky thing to talk about with loved ones. Like we don't need more toys, but we do need the money. So, right. how do you like respectfully and politely and tactfully have those conversations? Like, do you just slip an account number in the email or? <laughs> I, and I have not done that at all. Right. My mom has offered to do it. So, my mom is the only one who does contribute, and we're so grateful for that. But I'm like, how do we approach that?
0: What I've seen work is just getting ahead of it, like, share the excitement around it because sometimes they don't know that you have started the 529 account. So sometimes what you can do, you can say, we're so excited. We started a college account for Everett and you could say what your mom, my mom is doing this. You could just let them know what other people are doing. And sometimes people are like, Oh, that's great. And, um, I find that if you share the excitement around starting the college account and saying, Hey, we debt right now and not wanting ever to be subjected to that in the future, we've decided to go ahead and start a 529 account. As birthdays come, you've always been so generous that here's another idea that if you've wanted to, other people are liking this family members. I find that sometimes when you share what's going on, it's easy for other people to jump aboard and make it easy for them, tell them the different ways that they could participate. I've had floodgates of checks come in from other people. And that's just by sharing with others that this is what we're doing. But you really have to get the excitement or plan ahead. And people will love to do it. And then even sending thank you cards afterwards, encouraging them or just saying, thank you from every future self, he's going to this school and He's doing that. The impact, you may not have realized the impact that your gift has done, but thank you because you're participating in his future education. That note, maybe if they don't even do it year one, people talk, I don't know what the circles are or who knows who, they'll probably do it the next year or look forward to doing and having that thank you letter note come afterwards. So PV, I think just letting people know they don't know what they don't know. That way that you're sharing that with them ahead of time, just sharing that excitement with them is a subtle way of just saying this is what we're doing. If they want to participate, fine. If not, that's fine too.
1: I love that because I think a lot of it's also just ingrained in yeah. most people's minds that it's a birthday. So you got to get the kid a toy or a book. I mean, I love books too, but something, they feel like you need to be something tangible. So I love that. It just kind of Politely nudging people to think more creatively Correct. about how their gift can have not just an instant impact but a long-term effect for the kid. Unfortunately, my cousin's husband died suddenly last week mm. and they have a nine-year-old. And so and they did in lieu of flowers, please contribute to his 529. And I was awesome. like, you know what? Just in that conversation just yeah. now it made me think of that was the way that she put that she's like, wheat flowers will die in a week. So that's that short-term impact. But if you contribute to our son's college fund, now that we're, we've are we lost that income, then that's where you can have a lasting effect. So I love that.
0: Yeah, it's usually well-received. It's usually mm-hmm. no one's going to say, oh, I don't want to give towards Everett's College. No one ever said mm-hmm. that. So it's yeah. just giving them the nudge and the reminder.
2: Mm. Yeah, I was just sitting in a hot tub. I I was at a girls weekend last weekend and I was sitting in a hot tub with a dad and an uncle. And they were talking about, you know, the dad's daughter and the uncle was saying he doesn't give gifts. He just contributes to her education fund. And I'm like, that's awesome. You know, I was just asking him about that, like how it made it him feel with the instant gratification versus a long-term. And he was like, I get these thank you notes that Describes the impact, the long-term impact, and I feel really good about it. So that's another hot tip. Like I don't think you notes have kind of gone to the wayside with our more digital world, yeah. but a handwritten thank you note for something that really does mean something to you, I think absolutely is one hundred percent golden.
0: And if they if they go the extra length of even making a note, he could read that later, and they're getting that gratification to know that they've yeah. been watering this plant and now they seen when it's blossom and they get to partake in that. People like to be part of something greater than themselves. Hmm. So
1: this has been awesome. Like it's crazy as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking of LJ, I'm looking at his little face <laughs> and then I'm thinking it's a little crazy, but like he is going to grow up. And at some point, God willing, you know, we're here to see him go off and do big boy things, whether it's college or whatever that looks like. So this conversation is nostalgic. Yes, we're planning for our future. And it's a reminder that Mm
0: -hmm. they're little people. They are. And if another idea too, that's becoming more and more popular is, you know, getting your kids to start Roth IRAs, like retirement accounts when they're younger. Mm -hmm. They could start like a Roth IRA. If someone has like a, a business and their kids either whether they use their pictures on Facebook, social media, any kind of marketing items, you could put your child on payroll. And then now they're eligible to deposit money into like a retirement account that you've always seen those compounding tables that show side by side. If you start, someone started now versus if they wait and start later, the difference that it has, that's a great idea too. That kids could start doing if we're thinking about planning for our kids, not only using life insurance as a tool, not only using 529 prepaid, but whatever money you have left over, you can certainly set up a Roth IRA for them. But I always remind parents this, that as exciting as it is to talk about college planning or all those great things for your kids, always remember planning for you as well. Prioritize that, you know, because there's loans for school. There are scholarships for school, but there's not loans or scholarships for retirement planning. So always make sure that some of that still gets to go towards your own goals as well, which is sometimes hard because parents are always like you, Jamie, LJ, LJ, LJ. So it's always good to also slice a slice of that to put towards your own planning as well. No, but that like putting your
2: kid on apparel, that's like Kardashian stuff. And she's like Kardashian stuff. Because yeah. I don't actually have my own business. But Jay, you could do that. And so could
0: John. I see John's social media all the time. LJ would get way more likes than John. So he could throw him up there on the <laughs> picture. Put that could
1: too <laughs> work. Put that smile <laughs> to work. I love that idea. And John has a social media team. So we kicked a picture over and said, hey, use this. There you go. Okay,
0: And you got to pay him for that. You got to pay LJ for that. So then his money goes into his
2: Roth IRA. And yeah, when we start making money off this podcast, you there know, you we go. can put our kids on the payroll because we sh- damn sure wouldn't have this podcast. <laughs> so
1: they do deserve some, some cutbacks for that. They do need some cutbacks. That's right. Karen, this kind of pivots us into the investment tools piece. Just really quickly, you mentioned the IRA. Yeah. You know, you can potentially yeah. do an IRA. Yeah. And I know there's a Roth IRA. I know there's a traditional IRA. And I always get confused on what differentiates the two. So if you wouldn't mind just quickly sharing what an IRA is, what a Roth IRA is, what a traditional IRA is, and then compare or contrast that against other investment tools like your mutual funds or annuities or whatever the other fund, the other uh, tools are. I think that would be very helpful as well. Get away for the kids and talk about us and invest in us.
0: So I always go back to the goal, right? So the goal here, if we're talking about retirement, right? The two that you just mentioned, IRA and a Roth IRA, they are both, the IRA stands for Individual Retirement Account. And an IRA is different from a Roth IRA because you're deciding when you want to pay taxes. So you work, you make money, and now... The money has to be taxed, but the IRS is saying, Jamie, it's up to you. Do you want to pay taxes now or do you want to pay taxes later? So an IRA is saying, I don't want to pay taxes now. So I'm going to pretend I did not make that money. I'm not in receipt of that money because I'm going to put it into my IRA account. And as a result of that, the IRS will not tax you. So if you made, say, for example, I don't know, a 100000 for the year. Both of them have the same limits. So the IRS tells you how much you can put into the accounts. The limits are the same for both. So this year, if you're under 50, you could put 7,000 into an IRA or a Roth IRA. Now in the IRA, the money, if you decide you're making a hundred thousand, you put 7,000 in there, that means that you're paying taxes on the difference. Because you're deciding that, hey, I don't want to pay taxes now, so just pay me, just charge me taxes on the 90-something thousand that I took home, not the 100,000. On the Roth IRA, you're saying charge me taxes on the entire 100,000, and that way the money that I put in there, this is why people like the Roth IRA, both of them you're putting 7,000 in. They're both growing. Say you selected the same investment. So they both have the same balance. In the future, when you take it out, say that 7,000 that you're putting in repeatedly now grows to a million dollars. And normally 200,000 of that came from you over a 30-year stretch. The other 800 came from interest. So in the Roth IRA, you could walk away with that entire million dollars and not pay any taxes on it. Because you've already paid the taxes in the beginning. So you pay the taxes on the seed. And as it's growing and interest is compounding, you get to walk away with all that interest and not pay any taxes on it. In the IRA, same scenario, you put 200,000, you made 800,000 in interest. Balance in the account is a million because none of that money was taxed going in. You have to pay taxes on the entire balance. Oh, wow. So that's the difference between both of them. Now, the IRA is a IRS term to determine how you're paying. That's their bookkeeping. That's their, all right, let's make sure we're tracking Jamie's dollars to see what we're taxing her now and what we're taxing her in the future. How your money grows has nothing to do with the IRS. That's nice. the stock market. And then when you think of the individual investments that's available out there, you could either buy individual stocks in your account or for better diversification, you could have it where there's basket of stocks, which could be mutual funds. And it's mutual fund because we're mutually agreeing, every investor, we're mutually agreeing that we're all in it for the same goal. So people who want growth will be in the same mutual fund. They're going to drive in the same car. They're in the same basket. People who want to be in income, I don't need to grow my money. I've already done growing. I'm ready to start living off of it. I want income. They're going to go into a different mutual fund that's known as an income. They need income. One needs growth. Mm -hmm. And there's others out there that's just for liquidity. The money's just there that I could get to it whenever I need to. So if we're looking at the growth over the next 30 years, we're going to stick with stocks or mutual funds that are designed for growth purposes. So the growing of it, the engine behind that is the stock market. What you get to keep is the IRS. And that's what they're giving you the choice. You want to pay, you could pay your bill now, Jamie, or you could pay later. Some people, depending on on how you're feeling, some people believe that tax, they know what the tax rates are today. So they'll rather pay it today. They don't know what tax rates will be in the future, 30 years from now. And so there's all these different things. We have trillions of dollars of debt. We have all these things going on. How will they collect? No one really knows. So that's why going back, you could do some now, And some later you could say, Hey, I want to pay taxes on some of my money now, because as beautiful as the Roth is, it also means that you're going to take home less because of the taxes. So you're giving up on one way. And sometimes people are like, all right, maybe over my 30 year of saving time horizon, maybe I'll take a deduction 10 years, maybe some years I will not. So you're always assessing, does it make sense to do this or that later? The other thing with a Roth, the IRS does not look at your income when you're depositing money into an IRA, but they do consider your income when you're contributing to a Roth. And so if you make higher incomes, they normally say you're not eligible to do a Roth. But there are huh. some other ways that you could get access to a Roth. You could get it through your job by asking, do they offer not just a traditional 401k, but a 401k Roth. 401k Roth does not look at your income. Or if you don't have access to a 401k Roth, you could do an individual Roth IRA. You could do an individual IRA. This will be a two-step process. You would open an individual IRA, deposit the money into the IRA. And then you could roll the money over from the IRA into a Roth. They call that the backdoor Roth.
2: More Kardashian stuff.
0: More Kardashian stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So ultimately, the more Kardashian stuff is make sure that your money gets to grow and pay the taxes that are legally owed, but not more if you don't have to. This is great.
2: Yes, this is fantastic. I feel like we've already illustrated this beautifully with our conversation, but anything we haven't talked about in this regard, why is it important to work with an advisor? Because there's so many like do-it-yourself tools, you know, go online, mm-hmm. do all your own investments and cut out the middleman. Um, and I certainly would not do that, but I could see someone who was more like savvy, like Jamie or someone doing that. Why is it important to work with an advisor even though we've illustrated that throughout our whole conversation.
0: I think the biggest thing is that being humble enough to know that you don't know everything. And also being with an advisor is not a lifelong decision. So if I were to ask you both, do you think that people who plan versus people who wing it, who do you think comes out better from meeting their goals perspective in the future? The person that planned or the person that just winged it?
1: Planned, definitely, definitely the planner.
0: Yeah, because planning allows you to think about things that you didn't think about. It's asking a lot of questions, right? So if I just called an investment company and say, "Hey, I want to buy the stock," they're going to say how much, and then they're going to deposit it, and that's fine because you know what you want. What I found often is that people don't think about everything else. So we were talking about all the different types of products. People sometimes think that, oh, Jamie's doing it. That means if it's good for Jamie, I should go implement that same prepaid plan that Jamie just mentioned without not thinking like, oh, but this is important for my family. So I think the part that people miss sometimes is that desire part, the goal part of it and working with an advisor helps to create that. And many times people are like, I'm just busy. I'm just too busy to get to it. I'm too busy to learn all of it. I feel like you optimize your time by working with a planner so that they could at least go through that, give you some blueprint, pink print, whatever it is. And then you could run with that on your own if you wanted to. The part that people miss out on times and what we find is that people are like the biggest financial regret is not starting sooner is not having the knowledge to make those decisions. And many times people come to me and they're like, hey, Karen, I have this, I have that, I have that, but I don't know how it all works together. I don't know how it comes together. So a plan allows you to see everything. It allows you to see your future self today and it stress tests your plan. And when we talked about the buckets, many times people don't even wanna think about bucket number one. Who wants to think about getting sick, injured or dying? No one wants to think about that. But if that happens, it blows up the entire three buckets. Because if you pass away, what's going to happen? Savings is going to get depleted. You're going to cash out the 401k because you didn't save for emergency. You're going to end up blowing up all those plans. So I believe planning works because things are always changing. Tax codes are always changing. What was relevant 10 years ago, pensions were a thing then. It's not a thing now. So there's so many things that on your own, you cannot think about it on your own. So it's good to talk through with someone to at least get that big picture. And then if you feel that you're good from there, then, and no financial advisor is created equal. We're not all equal. We all don't think alike. So even just talking to different ones to see how they plan, that makes all the difference as well. So that's the biggest benefit to planning because again, remembering reasons why people fail financially is not having goals and not having a plan. So planning takes care of that because we're getting clear on your goals. You're not just buying something because someone said it's hot. You're buying it because it supports your goal.
1: You better preach. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're not That's trying. Solved. You just did. Gave us a whole word. I love it. Yeah. <sighs> Karen, you are, As always, not a shock to me. I know this is your first time having conversation with PV.
2: This is so, this has been so fantastic. Is there any like last word that you want to have? Like, do you think there's something we didn't cover that you're like, ooh, we should have talked about that or people really need to know about this?
0: No, I think you guys covered it. I think we touched on every little thing that could possibly be there. Again, it's overwhelming. There's so much, there's so many moving parts. I really feel like the benefit, the takeaway to all of this is even pulling out a piece of paper and just saying, hey, where do I see myself five years, 10 years from now? What does that look like financially? That's a great starting place because then all the other financial discussion that you'll ever have will be easier. It will make it so much easier because you know exactly what you want.
2: It's like a comprehensive view at your goals too, right? Like your future goals and you're like, how do I want to live my life now? Well, I know I'm breathing air, you know, (laughs) you don't know what's going to happen in five, 10 years. So you can plan for that, but you might not be around. So we also got to live our life today the way we want to live it. So that's why I really like working with a planner because they really help us think comprehensively, like not just the future, not just the now, but both of those things and everything in between.
0: That's an invitation for me just to say sometimes um, we overlook the powerful tool that a budget can allow. And sometimes budgeting is really, if anything, that's the starting place. But sometimes people get intimidated because they know they're spending more than they need to be spending sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things with budgeting is having a balance. So you mentioned today you You have to live today and then there's your future self. So when we look at a budget, whatever you're making, we always say at least plan 20% of that for your future self. You could do whatever you want with 80% of what you make today. Some of it goes to taxes, some of it, whatever it goes to bills, fun, hobbies, but make 20% of that goes towards your future self. That's going to investing and making sure that you're able to still maintain or have a better lifestyle in the future. And even if you can't start with 20%, because that's a lot if you think about sometimes in the corporate world, you know, it's sign up 3% to get the match. Do 1%, do something, just make that a habit. And I like what um, Atomic Habits talk about. Even if you don't want to become a millionaire, just the habit of investing each paycheck over time the goal will ultimately serve itself because you'll be doing better off. And as you make that a habit, you could give yourself a raise each and every year. So I will just end on the importance of having a budget, importance of having a budget that serves you, takes care of you today, allows you to have fun, but also allows you to look out for your future
1: self as well. Hmm. And one thing I've always heard, Karen, is to pay yourself first.
0: Nothing's wrong with that.
1: They say like everything, for me at least, you know, you get your paycheck and you're thinking of all like the bills. Like I got to pay this and this and this. And I heard it somewhere. They're like, pay yourself first. So you get into the habit of receiving. So even if it's $5, but you get into the habit that every coin that you get is not just to pay debt with. It's also to make sure that you are rewarding yourself for your hard work.
0: It works all the time. I've never heard anyone say, I regret paying myself first. Never. Love it.
2: (sighs) Karen, I wish I could give you a
1: hug. Let's hug, sure. girl. Virtual <laughs> hug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Peavy. next time you come to Florida, Peavy's in Santa Barbara. So the next yeah. time you come to Florida, Peavey, we'll all get together and hug it out. Let's do it. Thanks for having me. This was
0: amazing.
1: Thank you for being here. Absolutely. There's going
2: to be so many people that benefit from everything you just shared today. So I really, really appreciate, we really appreciate your time and your expertise. And
1: My absolute pleasure. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. We're gonna drop in the show notes, Karen. And you mentioned even atomic habits. So, you know, we can even drop a link to that book. Sure. And since you referenced it, but we'll put all of your information in our show notes so people know how to access you if they have questions and just want to connect with you because this is my shameless plug. I've known Karen for a long time. She is financially savvy and smart in all the things, but she's also just a lovely person. So I'll put that plug in and I mean that. So <laughs> we'll have a way for people to access you, Karen, and Thank you, thank you, thank you for your time and your expertise today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Appreciate you. That was
2: such an amazing conversation. And like you said in the beginning, I'm going to listen back this episode probably three, four, or five times because there is no way I could absorb every little detail that she shared because she shared so much. Yeah. And two of the things that I really liked kind of learning through the conversation was, and this kind of goes back to why it's important to work with an advisor who's in this every day, day in and day out, year after year, because she had all these like secret squirrel kind of, yeah, you can can do this to get around that. And this, you can do this, this, and this to accomplish the same goal. And I'm like, huh, okay, that's awesome. I would never be able to do that on my own. And the finger on the pulse, you know, like she kind of, mentioned some stuff that's coming online for 529s and using that for retirement. And it's impossible as an average person to keep up with all that stuff. So I just so appreciated all of her knowledge, but just kind of also validating like, yes, it is very important to work with an advisor because of all those things. And there's no way
1: we can do it ourselves. Oftentimes people think that You don't need to work with a financial advisor until you get to a certain income level or to a certain status, quote unquote. And really, it's about just starting. So, if you have like 10 bucks to invest or 20 bucks to invest or whatever that is, not feeling like you have to get to a certain income level to start, because the sooner we start, the better. So, I think we should highlight that two things. Number one, just get started, even if that means just having a conversation with the financial advisor. Interviewing financial advisors because you want to make sure that you have a vibe and a relationship with that person because you are telling all your goodies. Karen knows all my business, but you have to have someone you trust to know all of your good, bad, and ugly investment decisions. So I think it's important that we highlight that and that your financial advisor doesn't necessarily need to be in your state. They just have to have a pulse on what's going on in your state. Thank you
2: all so much for listening. We know that you have lots of choices on how you spend your time, especially a full hour so we are so grateful that you choose it to spend with us because we love and cherish these conversations and that we're all building this community so thank you so
1: much amen we love you all thank you for being part of our community peave i always love when we get to have these conversations and also just to see your face because we don't get to see each other's faces that often so i know Thank you all for being here. Hope you, we hope you love listening to Karen and uh, we hope that you learn something new and Blank is a mother. Finance is our mother.
2: Finance is our mother. Please find us on Instagram, underscore is a mother podcast. We will be there. We will be sharing this and lots of other summaries and tips about this topic. And please share this episode. I'm sure of all of our episodes, this is one that you can share with Absolutely anyone. Yeah. You do not have to be a parent. Any human that you know that can ben- benefit from improving their financial health
1: will be sharing it widely as well. Absolutely. And as Peeve always says, who should you call?
2: Go call your best friend. We'll see you soon. Ciao. Thank you so much for listening and being part of our conversation and our inner circle.
1: Follow us on Instagram, underscore it's a mother podcast. And we look forward to you and your best friends joining us next episode.
2: Leave a rating on this podcast app. It really helps us get our conversations to more friends out there, more friendship circles and more women and more mothers. And that's what we're here for, to broaden the conversation, to bring everybody into
1: the circle. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Go call your best
0: friend.